and welcome to the 905 podcast. I'm Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. If you live in the 905 region, there's a good chance that you live relatively close to a gravel quarry. And there's a good chance that the existence of the quarry is or has been controversial. Aggregates, to give them their proper name, are one of the constituent ingredients in, well, a huge number of things. Highway building and development of all kinds are two of the main ones for concrete and cement, needed for walls, foundations, sewers, drains, asphalt, paving slabs, the list could go on and on. And there's a good chance that if you have a backyard or even just a small balcony with a few plants, you've bought stone or gravel or sand extracted from an open cast mine that was previously either high quality farmland or perhaps even untouched Canadian forest. The most sought-after locations for aggregates extraction can also be some of Ontario's most fragile and important e- ecological locations. For instance, on the lands of the UNESCO World Biosphere Reserve in Niagara Escarpment. Groups like CORE, Conserve Our Rural Ecosystems, and PEARL, Protecting Escarpment Rural Lands, have opposed quarry proposals at an individual level over the last decade or more. But those groups and numerous others have recently joined together to form the Reform Gravel Mining Coalition, aimed at a province-wide change to the aggregates industry. They're calling for an immediate moratorium on on all new gravel mining approvals in Ontario to allow a pause and consultation on a new approach to balancing the need for aggregates for infrastructure with the needs of the environment. Today, we're speaking to representatives from both sides of this debate to hear the arguments both for and against the proposed moratorium. First, we are joined by Greg Sweetman. Greg has worked for James Dick Construction for 42 years, having joined the company as a, t- as a teenager. Today, he is executive vice president of the company, and he has worked on approvals for numerous pits and quarries, some contentious, he says, and some with broad community support. In 2006, he was chairman of the Ontario Stone, Sand and Gravel Association, and he joins us as a spokesperson for the OSSGA's perspective. Then, in the second part of the episode, we're joined by two of the leaders of the Reform Gravel Mining Coalition, Sarah Harmer, who is well known to millions of Canadians as a platinum-selling, Juno award-winning singer-songwriter. In 2005, she co-founded Pearl, who successfully opposed a proposed aggregate site expansion on Mount Nemo near Burlington. Graham Flint is an engineer who used to work in the oil and gravel industry in Canada's Arctic and Alberta. He later transferred to the to the tech industry before founding Force, Friends of Rural Communities and the Environment, who successfully fought a major gravel extraction proposal in Flamborough, which is today part of rural Hamilton. Welcome, uh, Greg Sweetman, Executive Vice President of James Dick Construction. Thanks so much for joining us today to uh, talk a bit about the uh, the gravel mining industry. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Yeah, so, you know, obviously this is, you know, it's you're involved in, in big business and, and a business that, you know, I, I'm sure you'll, you'll make the arguments is required in so many sort of avenues of life in with construction, housing, uh, roads, things like this. Now, and we've got the Reform Gravel Mining Group who are saying who are asking for a moratorium on, on new mining. I mean, they're not saying, you know, ban everything immediately tomorrow. They're saying, let's look at the industry. Uh, let's let's see if there should be more uh, safeguards and so on. I mean, what are your responses to that? Well, well, you know, 
firstly, I think uh, I think it's important that people understand what we need. Like, what what do we actually need to build our society, right? And what we need is high quality aggregates. Um, for for most of your your uh, listeners will understand what aggregates are. It's like the sand and stone that goes into the foundation of basically everything we build. Uh, that's not only simple things like roads and parking lots and sidewalks, but it's also skyscrapers. It's uh, aggregates makes up uh, about approximately 80% of the mass of concrete and asphalt. Uh, but it also is found in other parts of our of our lives as well. Like the paper that people write on, for example, is probably about 40% uh, made of quarried material to give it that nice smooth finish, as opposed to a very coarse textured newsprint. I mean, people brush their teeth with it in the morning. But most importantly, it's uh, the vast majority by tonnage is in what we use in construction. And aggregates not only allow us to shelter us, but they also keep us clean and uh, keep us uh, keep us from dying of diseases. I mean, uh, back in the early days of, uh, of, of uh, European settlement in southern Ontario, I mean, York was known as Muddy York. The mud was three feet deep in the streets. Uh, and when my Irish ancestors arrived in Toronto, about 10,000 of them died from cholera in a single year in a city with a population of about 20,000. So uh, aggregates are what basically uh, we, we use to basically uh, build our sanitation system. When we flush the toilet in the morning, we don't think about it, but it, it scoots away very safely in pipes that are made of aggregate, bedded in aggregate to sewage treatment plants that are made out of aggregate. Uh, so it not only keeps us clean, allows us to transport our materials, but it also keeps our feet out of the mud. Um, but it, in, what's interesting about aggregates is unlike many other things in our society, uh, we are a consumption-based industry, right? We're completely driven by consumption and we're not so much driven by production, which means you could produce twice as much as what we do right now and no one would buy it because nobody wants aggregate. They need aggregate, right? And if you have a five-ton hole in your driveway, you need exactly five tons to fill that hole. You don't need six tons and you certainly don't need four tons. You need exactly five tons. And if you have six tons, then that extra ton is a waste. And nobody is spraying perfume on aggregates or coloring them pink to get convince people to buy more because they just won't. If they don't need it, they won't buy it. Um, and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, the one example that we use uh, to sort of illustrate, uh, you know, the need for high quality aggregates, uh, is we always use the example of the CN Tower and the Gardner Expressway. And the CN Tower, uh, I was lucky enough to be president of our industry association on our 50th anniversary. And we rented the CN Tower for a day and uh, had our big 50th anniversary uh, party there. But we uh, we got the backstage tour with the engineers and we said, like, how long is the concrete in the CN Tower going to stand up? And they said, well, the concrete will last about probably about 1,200 years before it really needs a serious remediation job. And uh, if you go about 200 meters away, you have something called the Gardner Expressway. Right? The Gardner Expressway started falling down all by itself after about 30 years. So you ask yourself, well, what's the difference between the two? And there are some construction differences, of course. But the big difference, the 80% mass of the CN Tower is the high quality Amabel Dolomite, the highest quality aggregate we have in Ontario, whereas the Gardner Expressway was built out of a relatively low quality aggregate. And uh, this comes from a formation up north for really called the, the, the Bob Cage and the Gull River. And the Gull River in particular has layers of alkali reactivity in it. And it's alkali reactivity, uh, not to get too technical, but it causes sort of it, the concrete to kind of jack itself apart from the inside. And when you drive underneath the gardener, as maybe some of your listeners are right there right now, you can look for yourself. You see all that micro cracking that allows water to infiltrate. Water gets in, freeze thaw, the salt water attacks the rebar, which is uncoated, which is a, another construction problem with the, the gardener. And we wind up with something that falls apart. My point is, is that, is that if you had 
uh, if you're building infrastructure today, what do you want to build your infrastructure out of? Do you want to build your infrastructure that lasts, can, build bridges that can last for hundreds of years out of the, the aggregates we use to build the CN Tower? Or do you want to build more stuff out of the aggregates we built, uh, uh, used to build the, the Gardner Expressway? So, um, sorry, Greg, I, yeah, like you're, you're, you're laying a lot on us right here, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and I have like a hundred questions that I, I want to ask you. So I, I think my, my first one is, I'll be honest. I didn't really. Th- I really consider the fact that we do need like infrastructure overhaul. Like you're talking about the Gardner. I'm thinking not just the Gardner, but how many overpasses and sewage lines and and, and whatnot need to be updated and and maintained. Because um, I think when people are thinking aggregate construction, they're thinking like new housing development, new new apartment, but new building development. But that that notion of no, we do need to reinforce existing infrastructure as well, and that needs to come from new materials gets passed over a bit in that in the in this equation i think um so i'm wondering if maybe you could just touch upon currently like the the, the the industry does the industry produce enough aggregate on existing site from existing sites to meet our our infrastructure maintenance needs now like like i guess that's the idea is like how, how much are we actually producing on existing sites to meet the what our our, our current needs are yeah, so so this is the, the crux of it. We produce exactly how much we need, right? We ship exactly what the demand is, not a pound more, not a pound less, right? So this isn't a case where the industry says, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna open 10 new quarries and produce 20 million tons more than we did last year. No, we can only produce exactly what people will use because it, it's a waste otherwise, right? So but but when you think about it, um, the concept of using high quality aggregates at the, at the input level, right, is, is exactly what you said. Like, so, so when we're replacing our existing infrastructure, why are we replacing it? Well, usually because it's falling apart. We built concrete so bad, so horrible, that we have to hire contractors to come in and rip it up into little tiny pieces, haul it to a recycling yard, and then take a $10 million bridge and crush it down into $6,000 worth of recycled aggregate. And then, then go into a quarry, get brand new material to build the bridge again, right? My point is, if we build the infrastructure out of the highest quality materials at the input level, then that bridge will last for 150 years instead of 50 years, right? And we only have to build it once and not three times. And building with high quality aggregate is an aggregate conservation strategy. So if you ask me, what do we have to build our current? Do we have enough right now? I'll say we do not have enough high quality material to build our infrastructure. And to give you a, a case in point, like the Amabel, the high quality stuff that built the CN Tower, the town of Milton used to be the, the, the largest producing municipality in Ontario. And it quite routinely produced, you know, around 10 million tons uh, a year. So this year it produced 10% of what it did in the year 2000. So my point is that if we're, and, 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 the, and if you look at Halton region as a, as, a, as a globally, it's producing two thirds less. And that used to be almost all Amabel. There was some sand and gravel in there, but it was almost all Amabel. If I just jump jump in for a second there, though, I mean, sure. but, but isn't that because it's been mined? I mean, it's a finite resource. Yeah, so it's, that's gone, right? So And it's not coming back, which means, I mean, that's why we see, uh, you know, the, the reclaim re- reclamation projects in in, uh, in uh, Milton. Uh, so, you know, saying the amounts have gone down, all, all we're saying there is that, that you've used up the resource. Uh, oh, that's, you're absolutely correct. Like the aggregate industry is in the business of going out of business the day a quarry opens its gates, right? Because it's like having a, a, a hamburger restaurant with all the hamburgers you're ever going to serve frozen in your basement. 
And once you've served those, you got to find yourself a new restaurant, right? That's what the, that's what quarrying is. Like you, and, and unlike when you build a school or a subdivision or a, or a commercial facility, aggregate sites constantly have to renew themselves, right? We constantly have to find new places to go because every 20 or 50 years, depending on the size of your deposit, you have to basically find a new quarry, which is why, you know, we're usually in the limelight uh, where, because there's always new quarries and always will be new quarries proposed in order to replace that resource. Mm-hmm. My point but, is, I mean, you know, to answer Joel's question. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yep. Sorry, to answer, to answer Joel's question is the industry's effort to replace the high quality stuff because the high quality material like the Amabel is, is being used up extremely rapidly, right? And we don't have enough going forward to build, to use, uh, to basically source the high quality materials going forward. And that that's also true for concrete sands and some of the higher end uses. So we don't have enough of the high quality material. There, there, are, there are pits and quarries with lower quality materials, right? And in a pinch, yeah, I guess we could use those. We can build more. Expressways, and we really have to. But the industry is always trying to strive to build the highest quality infrastructure and produce the highest quality materials. So it's it's really at the high quality end that we really have really have a, a set in the amount of material that we can produce. So you are going to be you know far from a moratorium. We need to be opening up new mines uh, or, or pits that are that are producing this this high quality aggregate that isn't available in other places. So, yeah, that's but, right. Cause, cause so it's so. So to bring that back to the to the arguments made by the uh, by the uh, by the uh, reform gravel mining group, you know they're saying, well, you you, you have so many. Uh, uh, I'll just bring up the statistics here. So you know they've got um, hundred on average 157.4 million tons of gravel was extracted over the last ten years each year, um, and two point five billion tons uh, of gravel extraction is authorized each year. Um, you know. Do we do we not have enough from all of that? I mean, is is uh, you know we say, and if we've got bad mines that are producing the wrong kind of gravel, isn't that an argument to close those mines rather than keep mining them? Well, it's it's kind of like you know any aspect of our society. If you did an analysis about the shelf space we have to sell corn chips in uh, in the GTA, you might find well we have got thirty times as many as many shelves full of corn chips. Uh, what happens when you license a pit or a quarry? Uh, you know, particularly in gravel pits, you might find there's maybe 10% of the material is really high quality. You might have 30 or 40% is kind of a medium quality. And then you've got sort of a lower end uh, material, like, like, like on the Oak Ridges Marine, there's a lot of uh, you know, what we call blow sand pits, or that really fine sand. Now, once you've gone into that, that, that pit and, and taken out the, the high and the medium quality material, should you close it down because you just have lower quality material? Well, you can still move that, but there's still applications to to move that material to you, you there's sand fill there's septic beds that are being made there's things uh, pipe bedding you can use that sand for but but uh it doesn't necessarily mean you, you should shut that site right down just because instead of producing a million tons a year now it's dropped its production down to a hundred thousand tons a year because it's still being used up and that bit that person company that's using that site still has uh, you know, still has the ability to generate some some revenues and get some product shipping out of there. Sometimes uh, the industry will license something and then make a make a business decision to hold that in reserve because we're running out and we want mm-hmm. to use this site over here first, and we're going to come and use that one. So it's like hell, like a strategic reserve. Um, you think about it, like in, in in the GTA, like we're consuming aggregates uh, at a, at about uh, three times faster than we're replacing them. Uh, right. And it just so happens that the highest quality materials we have in Ontario are in the GTA. Like the Amabel is located right in the GTA. 
It's not located in Sudbury or somewhere way up north. It's located right here. So from a greenhouse gas perspective, like as we put more and more pressure on ourselves to reduce our carbon footprint, getting the material from immediately adjacent to the market, it just well, makes that much more sense. On, the, on, that, on that, just, just I just want to ju- jump in for a second there, Greg, because uh, time is coming up. But you know, you, you touch upon the the greenhouse gas uh, notion, and I think that's an excellent segue into you know a big criticism against the industry uh, on part of you know reform gravel is the environmental impacts of these mines and, and pits that are that are opening up. Um, I just want to give you, give you a, a, an opportunity, just kind of to address those those concerns about. You know, if we're if we're going to keep opening these mines up, there is the environmental concern of runoff uh, of, uh, of of those concerns. What, what's your what's your uh, counter to that to that point? So the the, the main counter is that is that uh, you know, from a greenhouse gas perspective, the vast majority of our impact is lo- is from the transportation of the product, right? And if I have a pit in Milton that I can or a quarry in Milton that I can drive down the road and supply growth in Milton from it. If you've been paying attention to the news, the next couple of years, we're about to get uh, access to electric semis, right? So I have a hope in heck of delivering material using electric power if I have close to market quarries. If I have to go way up into central Ontario to bring this stuff down, I, I, there's no way I can do that. So that's that's a glimmer of hope we're looking at in the future. But pits and quarries are extremely clean. Like they're, they're a physical, It's a physical manipulation of the material. There's not any wild and woolly chemicals used in, in agri-production, and there aren't any pollution issues. In fact, we've been kicked right out of various uh, various uh, uh, water quality initiatives over the years just because everyone has found that the pits and quarries are so clean. We're our permitted use in, in most wellhead protection areas, for example. Um, but but I think, I think if you listen very carefully to the reform gravel's message, what they're saying is... Uh, the, the things we produce with gravel, they have a problem with. They don't like freeways. And their way of attacking freeways is to try to starve society off of high-quality materials, right? That's, that's crazy. Uh, you, you don't, if, if they want to attack consumption, they're more than welcome to. Go out, go wild. We don't spend a nickel lobbying the government to consume more aggregates. We don't spend any advertising dollars convincing people to build more infrastructure. We just supply what is required, right? And, and, and gravel reform has an issue with the amount of things we're building. Once society decides to build something, we think you should build it out of the highest quality materials located from the closest market sources so that you can build them so they have the greatest longevity, conserving aggregates in that process, as well as uh, conserving uh, greenhouse gases in the overall transportation of the, of, the, of the materials in the first place, right? And if you have the double whammy, it adds up so that it's like 15 times more efficient from a greenhouse gas perspective to use close to market material from Halton than it is to go up to Aurelia and get crappy material that built the Carter Expressway and drive it down to build crappy infrastructure. I would much rather take it on the chin up front. Yeah, we have a bit of, we have to go through more of a planning process in, in the, the GTA, yeah. but it's okay, better so, to do that. It's better for everybody that we do that. Okay, so um, push back a little bit on a couple of things you said. So you said, well, you know, we don't produce more than people ask for. now. You know, certainly you could say the same about the oil industry. It's like, well, they only pull as much oil out of the ground as people are wanting to put into their cars. But we know that, you know, according to the price or according to other whatever political considerations or the, you know, the price of oil changes, that changes the demand. So, so just saying, well, we only pull out what people ask for isn't really, you know, that doesn't mean that you're not overproducing to a huge extent. That just means that the demand is higher than it needs to be. Um, so, 
you know, couldn't we argue that you know, we, we, we are not efficient as a society. We, we have, over the last 50 years or more, we've built heaps of roads, which just fill up with more cars. And we've built, we've sprawled into our suburbs and we've lost farmland. And that if we, if we, you know, no one's saying never build another house, never build another road, never build another anything, but, but that we be a lot more thoughtful and cautious about where we do build to make sure that we're doing so efficiently and that we're not wasting our resources. And, you know, Obviously, uh, the the place where you're saying we, we we get the best gravel from also happens to be the best farmland in the province, and that's a finite resource as well. So, and uh, uh, you know, so so the how, how do you answer those kind of uh, points that that you know maybe maybe you should be looking at just a more efficient and more restricted uh, uh, ways of extraction. So, so you know, I fully recognize that we all have, we've all espoused to these noble goals of building our societies as efficiently and as sprawl-free as are possible. But think about that. Think about that. Generally means that what we're going to do is instead of building more single-family detached homes with big driveways, we're going to build high rises, right? And what that does, it switches the dial from where we can use lower quality materials in low rise to where we need higher quality materials to build skyscrapers that are 60 stories high. So, so it's documented in the, the uh, in the government state of the resource study they did uh, uh, probably two decades ago now. But they say, yeah, the, the more the higher we go, the higher the higher proportion of high quality aggregates that we need. Um, and you know, it, it's like it's how can I say it? We will we will supply whatever the province needs us to supply, but we don't drive that from our end, right? And 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 uh, I'm happy that uh, that people are sort of questioning how we build and and uh, and why we build and everything else. But once the decision is made to build it, then I my job is to pr- provide the highest quality materials so that we can we can uh, we can make sure that that infrastructure lasts longer, right? The argument of the, the coalition is, well, no, just use up the low quality stuff that's still in your pits. So we build a bunch more Gardner Expressways, right? We, we start using up the low quality material to build our infrastructure. And I'm saying that's that's wrong headed, right? We want to build, when I'm, when I'm up in our recycling uh, yard that I can see out of my window here, I'm staring at right now, there's a big pile of broken concrete. And when I'm standing on that pile of concrete, it's getting ready to get crushed up. I can't help but to think that I'm standing on a pile of failure. I'm standing on a pile of stuff that was so bad, so horrible, we had to tear it apart and crush it up for cheap to, to, so I can recycle some cheap aggregate. I think we should leave the stuff that I'm looking at right now that was a $10 million bridge, let that continue to be a $10 million bridge by building it right the first time out of the highest quality materials the first time, right? Uh, and so I think, maybe I think, just for one final question, because we do have to wrap it up now, but one final sure. question, just coming, coming from that point, I mean, isn't the argument there then that, that we've also done a pretty poor job of making sure we're using the right aggregates over the last uh, couple of decades? So. So uh, it sounds like the reform people are right. You know, we need we need some more uh, legislation to make sure we're, we're we're using this stuff right, and that we're pulling the right stuff out of the ground, and not needlessly just you know destroying things because we're trying to do things on the cheap. I mean, aren't you just yeah, making it, their, their point? You know what? Like, I would agree with you. Like over the last two decades, we've seen three major attempts to resupply uh, the GTA with the highest quality material turned down. Like we had our Rockford quarry turned down in Calvin. There was an MZO that shut down the, the St. Mary's Quarry in, in Flamborough, and then Nelson uh, Crush Stone got turned down as well. So the industry is trying to resupply with the CN Tower Stone. We're trying to backfill the, the market. But you're right, something has to change because we keep getting turned down. Now, we've had a recent success with our hidden quarry, which is a very small site. Uh, it's, not, it's not a big site like the other ones. 
But uh, but we need to get more Amabel. And I think any rational person sort of looking at all the facts would say, yeah, we, we have a 10,000 year supply of Amabel in the GTA, but it's the it's the planning approvals we need to get to it that are hard, hard to come by, you know, and and I live in Caledon, you know, and, and I go up to the Forks of the Credit. And that's an area where we can just now start to see what a quarrying area looks like after it's been sitting for 10,000 or for uh, 100 years. Right. So those quarries were shut down around the early 1900s. They've been sitting for 100 years and those quarries have completely faded back into the background. They're as biologically diverse as the areas around them. And the Niagara Scarpman in their visual attractiveness study uh, found that is the number one most attractive area in the whole central portion of the Niagara Scarpman. So after 100 years, it's pretty well established that, that uh, you know, pits and quarries fade away completely. And I can take you to dozens of sites in Caledon that used to be pits and quarries you would never know if you drove by them. My point is, is that I'm one of those optimistic people that think that people are going to be living in southern Ontario for thousands or hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of years. I think the Europeans have demonstrated that they've had 10,000 years of quarrying going on in, in Europe and it, it hasn't stopped them in their tracks, you know. So we need to get along. We need to recognize that we, we need these materials. And it's just a matter of getting them the best way, getting them the right materials to build the right things. And as technology improves, hey, maybe we won't, we won't need aggregates. Maybe we'll have buildings that float in the air, you know. That'd be as, cool. it is right, <laughs> as it is right now, uh, we got, we, we're using the technology we have. Right? Uh, Greg Sweetman, so much. thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, appreciate you doing it. Great. It was fun. Thanks, guys. Hey, well, welcome, Sarah Harmer and Graham Flint from Reform Gravel Mining Coalition. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. So, why don't we just start off by 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 you giving your kind of you know why you exist? Um, obviously, uh, I think you've both probably been involved for a long time in in various activism with regard to gravel mining in 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 the 905 region but uh the reform gravel mining coalition as i understand is, is a kind of new venture on, on this part so perhaps you could just dive in and kind of give us why you've done this and what you're trying to achieve sure i'd be happy to do that um we formally kicked off the coalition at the end of january but uh that wasn't the start of the work we've really been working on this uh through uh, the sponsorship of the wellington water watchers from about the middle of last year, about this time last year, actually. Um, but the coalition was launched in January. The chief coalition partners are the Wellington Water Watchers, Environmental Defense, the Wilderness Leagues, Wilderness Committee, and the Council of Canadians. So those are the four coalition members. We're proud to be able to say we have about just under 40 uh, community groups that have signed up. And uh, our petition for our first campaign, which we'll talk about a little bit later, now has over 4,000 signatures. So it's been a strong launch uh, since January, about six weeks or six weeks or so, eight weeks maybe now. Um, and uh, and and it's, uh, it's, it's quite exciting. It's a problem that needs addressing. And we're happy to, uh, to be kicking off this coalition to do so. What what exactly is the problem that that you're seeing with uh, quarry binding? It may just give give us a little bit of insight onto that one. Well, the industry uh, has been very uh, self regulated and has gotten quite out of control uh, in the last number of decades. So it's a provincially regulated industry, and we have uh, an extreme abundance of available aggregate that's been licensed. And really a shocking amount that's been licensed way beyond, like 13 times beyond what we actually use every year, what we actually consume in the province. So we have a real stockpiling of quarry licenses, which mean that areas uh, all across the province, it's incredible how many pits, open pit mines and gravel quarries there are 
And they're really doing a number on our prime farmland, our well water, our species at risk areas, you know, all the best things that we need that underpin our, uh, our living, you know, our ability to, to kind of survive really um, are threatened by, uh, by gravel mining. And so it's been really the problems with regulation and management of the industry by the province for the last number of decades. So that's what the coalition is, is here to do. It's to reform how we extract gravel, rock, all of those aggregates out of the ground in Ontario. To put kind of the the kind of arguments that 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 the I dare say the, the gravel mining mining industry would put to you. I mean, is this an attempt to do you just want to stop gravel mining entirely, or is it uh, is it a, a more a matter of uh, putting better regulation in place to 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 make sure that the mining is done appropriately when it is done? Yeah, I mean, gravel mining is not going to go away. I mean, the, the roads we drive on, the buildings we live in are all composed of of, of, of aggregates gravel, as, as we call it colloquially. But as Sarah says, the, the scale of this industry has just gotten absolutely out of control. She says we have 13 times more capacity license than we actually use every year. And that and that 13 times leads to 5,000 acres a year of new land being licensed for the gravel industry every year. So if you go back over the last three decades, on average, 5,000 acres every year. And then, you know, gravel mining is supposed to be this sort of in and out process where you where you extract the uh, the the aggregate, the gravel, uh, and then rehabilitate the land. But the reality is, look over the last uh, two decades, um, there is 45% more land scarred in Ontario. So 45% more acres scarred than, than over the last two decades. It's gotten worse and worse. It's increased by that amount. And the kicker for all this is that mm. the amount of aggregate we've actually used in the last two decades has actually gone down. So we used to use, from 2000, 2010, we used about, a, on average, about 168 million metric tons a year. In the last decade, you know, 2011 to 2020, we used about 157. So it's gone down. So while the amount of gravel we actually consume and use to build our infrastructure has gone down, the scarring on the land has gone up. And all this, you know, to jump to the punchline comes from high level provincial policies. As Sarah says, it's the provincial government that really is the key regulator when it comes to, to gravel mining. And do you know, we have a policy in Ontario at the highest level of planning, a, a document called the Provincial Planning Statement that has a provision in it that says there's no need to show need for a new gravel mine. So when you start at that high level point that says, we don't even have to justify that we need this stuff, a gravel miner can go and open a new operation without even considering whether it's needed or not, it leads to the proliferation and the scarring of Ontario that we see. Um, the, it's, there's a lot to, to unpack in that uh, in that statement. We had on uh, folks from the, from the Gravel Association uh, previously, a lot of what you said, they're, they're probably going to refute. Uh, I mean, one of the statements that they were saying was uh, the industry is pretty much they take out just what's needed, right? Whatever, whatever the, de the market's demanding to be used in production, that's what's taken out. Um, a, a big thing they were saying is that the, the need for higher grade aggregate, you know, the stuff that he, the, what was used uh, example was the CN tower, that, the, that long, that stuff that's going to stand along the test of time, so to speak, as opposed to, in the, the, his words, uh, the Gardner Expressway, which is crumbling and, and falling apart. Do would do you refute that that statement that the industry is a kind of a just in time industry and in that these these sites are just they're looking for like the best grade material um, to 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 develop? 
Let me let me take the first part of it and I'll let Sarah sure. speak to the grade of agri because I know she has she has some com- strong comments about the you know that whole line. Um, let, let's be fair. I mean, the industry itself, you know, their, their perspective on this is self-serving. It's 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 their commercial enterprise. They want to be successful. I mean, when we say they have thirteen times the capacity to extract aggregate, there's not huge stockpiles pulling up. I mean, it is true they they dig up a load of stone, they put it in a truck, and they ship it ship it to a to an extraction site. That's very true. But they're always predicting that we're going to run out of aggregate for for five decades now. They've been telling us we're going to run out. I have planning reports back to the 1970s and 80s that say, you know, we're going to run out of stone, right? Well, you know, we're 50 years later, we haven't run out of it. And what's really interesting is they're on that same bandwagon again, again, currently. They're saying Ontario's population is going to grow. We need more aggregate to be able to, you know, to survive that. Again, let's go back to the facts. Let's go back to the actual data. Ontario's population from the year 2000 to 2020 grew from about 12 to 15 million. So an increase of 25%. The amount of crushed stone we actually used went down in that period. We used a more dense, a dense uh, social footprint. We're, we're building higher density. We don't need the sprawl. I mean, one of the biggest thing consumers of aggregate is, is highways and, and sprawl, which is a form of building that given the climate crisis and all the other issues that we're dealing with, that we just can't, you know, we can't continue to do that. And Sarah, do you want to speak a little bit about this special stone that we've always told that they need? Yeah, it really, I think, speaks to the issue of waste because there isn't a process by which the industry just targets, you know, the dollar stone uh, of the Niagara Escarpment, for example, like UNESCO World Biosphere, which they go into to use that gravel for uh you know, underneath your your walkway or something on in landscaping, whatever that they don't differentiate between grades of gravel when it comes to using that gravel. They always say we need the best of the best, but they don't just use the best of the best for the CN Tower or the or the bridge building. They they don't differentiate. So there's a huge amount of waste. We go into our most precious ecological areas, like the UNESCO World Biospheres. You know, the best, most biologically rich areas in the world. And, and we're using that prime rock that's doing so much already to filter, uh, you know, for flood management, for filtering for our drinking water. And we use that in our, in our flower beds so, and, our, and our pathways. So they're, they're, they can say that out of one side of their mouths, but then there really isn't the vigilance for differentiating these grades of rock and using it appropriately. Uh, and I guess uh, another point uh, they would probably raise is that um, so, like, sure, uh, you know, taking things out of the land in the nine hundred five, where you also got a limited amount of farming the, of or the kind of highest grade farming in in the province, plus the world heritage uh, 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 biosphere reserve, as you say. Um, but against that is well, if we don't do that, we'll have to put it on trucks and ship it from from much further away and then you're using fossil fuels and et cetera, et cetera. How, how do you uh, approach that kind of argument? There's two sides to that one. Um, um, you know, first of all, I would say as a common sense approach, it's a big, bulky, massive product. You don't want to be driving it more than you need to. But I always chuckle when I when I hear this because there's another side to to the gravel mining industry that we're trying to to push for some improvements on, and that is on the reprocessing of aggregate. So we're not digging up and destroying green fields, but we're reusing the products that we use. I mean, for you know, for decades we dumped a bunch of cement and aggregate product in the Leslie Street spit, right down and down. down 
down in downtown Toronto. We need to stop doing that and we need to use it more. And what I find is fascinating is we get concerned about the fact that what, what the current state of that argument is, is they want permission to be able to bring the, the, the construction waste, the, the aggregate waste product or, or reclaim product back to the urban the rural environment. So out of the urban environment where they're tearing down these buildings, bring it back to the rural environment. And in that argument, they don't care about moving the stuff. Like it's, it's all of a sudden putting that product on the, on the road isn't an issue, right? We say, well, wait a minute. You know, the only reason these things are situated where they are is Sarah's bringing up in some, you know, prime agricultural land, you know, high valued natural features in that is because the argument is, well, you know, the stone we need is there, but they don't seem to worry about bringing the, 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 the reprocessing material back in trucks in that area. So, but, so it doesn't, it doesn't fly to me, but that's two was there, but in, you know, in a raise it up above, you know, talking points and, and barbs at each other. Mm-hmm. At some point we are going to have to solve that problem. And there are some innovative solutions, even in Canada, about that, um, bringing in a rail. I mean, one of the visions that have been talked about, and it's not a formal policy of the Reform Gravel Mining Coalition at this point, is to try and make this decoupling the the, the, the extracting of aggregate and gravel from the marketing and selling of it so that we would create, let's say, regional depots where there'd be gravel that's collected and then shipped to the job site as a separate business opportunity. So one would be producing the products, one would be delivering the product, and we decouple this. And because you're going to have to look at different ways. Eventually, we're going to have to put it on barges and put it on rail corridors and stuff like that and move that in. So, I mean, it, it's right to be sensitive to a lot of trucks on the road, but let's not hide behind what is a, a one-sided you know, uh, um, argument that, that isn't really balanced with what really happens. Um, I want to I want to just switch gears a bit and uh, allow, allow you to comment on the moratorium on gravel mining that your organization wants to introduce uh, into the province. Um, can you just give our, our listeners maybe a brief overview of what exactly is it that you're asking the province to implement, and uh, give us your reasons why. So the the first campaign of the coalition is the DAM campaign, which is D-A-M-N, which is demand a moratorium now, which basically means a pause, like a timeout on new approvals. So it doesn't mean stopping everything that's already existing that's going on. I mean, nobody's going to lose their jobs or lose their you know livelihoods. Um, everything's going to be status quo as far as the operations that are in, in place right now. But as we've talked about, there is a surplus of licensed aggregate. Um, And so we need a timeout so that data can be shared so that independent independent overview, assessment, we need, um, you know, it's it's hard, you know, the the mining industry in Ontario, they need to say how much they've mined out of their mines. Every, Every year they have to document how much whatever comes out of the ground. But the aggregate industry doesn't doesn't have that same obligation for some odd reason. So it's really hard to get actual facts. And um, that's what we need, right? We need an independent uh, analysis to know where we're at so that we all have the facts on the table. So that we're just calling for a pause on new approvals. And that's what the DAM campaign, Demand a Moratorium Now, is all about. Um, so it's, I just want to continue on that train of thought um right now the current political situation i guess in the in the province we just recently had the uh uh, housing affordability task force release their study and they're talking about we need to build more housing livable housing for people in this province to 
meet the demand, which is a very real. Uh, it's a, that's a it's a separate issue, but it's a very real issue that I think does tie into the aggregate issue as well. We're talking about de- you know trying to build denser cities, denser neighborhoods, um, and we had uh, on a, a, a Greg uh, from this gravel association talk about like building up, building condo and apartment buildings requires aggregate, a large amount of aggregate. Are we not, if we go forward with this moratorium and pause any future sites, are we not risk maybe shooting ourselves in the foot of not meeting that demand and not being able to meet those targets to find places for people to live? We better not because it's a real issue, right? I mean, that's one thing that we we would, I think we, you know, have some commonality with the aggregate industry about that. Uh, mass transit needs to be built and that'll take uh, crushed stone as well. But, but when you consider the, 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 I don't know, the decades old stereotypical, you know, big expressway leading to big, you know, roadways and parkways, which lead to big parking lots and big box malls and lots of independent homes on winding roads. Like that takes a huge amount of aggregate. I'm not a, I'm not a planner. I'm not a civil engineer, but I've been told by smart people that, that, well, here, here's a statistic. When, when Sarah and I first got into this in the early 2000s, the, the ministry would tell us that each of us as a resident of Ontario use 15 to 16 tons of aggregate every year. I don't know where, you know, Sarah put hers. I, I always had trouble finding where mine was going. But, you know, you know, but that was the average. That average now has dropped down to 10. So we have, we're using a third less aggregate per person than we did before. So the denser build formats, I believe, and pe- smart people who, who understand this stuff tell me, will use less aggregate, not more. So it is true. We need it to go up. But I think when you look at all the sprawl characteristics, the highways that lead to boulevards and parkways, which lead to parking lots and roads, we will use less aggregate at the end of the day. We don't, like, like the coalition is not trying to somehow impact the th- important things we need to do as a, as a society. What we've got is an industry that's out of control. One of the things we haven't mentioned yet is these dormant sites. I mean, the Acton story is is an incredible story where they, you know, a huge operation up in, up in, in Acton um, uh, wanted to expand it. it. Was a seven or eight year fight that overlapped a little bit with the fights that Sarah and I were were first involved in. Um, got approvals, mined it for a couple years, and then just mothballed it. We call them dormant sites. So it's you know the natural environment, all that all that stuff that we should care about has been destroyed. It's a scar in the community, a scar on the landscape. But because market conditions don't favor them taking rock from that location, it just sits there open. I mean, talk about a clear example of why we have too much capacity in the system. We don't need more capacity, and you know that's the other thing. As Sarah was very clear, we're not taking anything away if they're licensed and they're they've made all their got all the permissions they need to operate we're not saying that they should be impacted in some way it's it's the it's it's the rallying cry of the of the climate of the of the climate crisis response the first thing you do in a crisis is stop making it worse and issuing new gravel license just makes it worse so we're just saying stop making it worse and i mean i was just thinking i mean obviously in burlington just the, the one I'm familiar with is is uh, the the local quarry here, kind of having licenses which were agreed literally decades ago that they're now bringing in now. In the meantime, of course, housing estates have been put up, which are neighbouring them, and the you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting point that that this thing can licenses which were granted so long ago can suddenly come out, you know, kind of come out of the woodwork, uh, so to speak. Um, now, I mean, I guess uh, the, the other question, I mean, that you need to address is, is the current kind of political climate um, with the with the provincial government, which is, I don't think anybody can, 
I don't think even they would deny that they're pro-development and, uh, and also pro-road. Um, how? I mean, do you do you kind of look at that and go, what, what hope do we have with these guys, or or, or do you think you can make real headway uh, uh, with this provincial government? Well, I mean. You, we can go into that quite deeply, I guess, looking at 37% of the Ontario population who voted, voted for this government. So our first past the post, uh, you know, electoral system is is faulty from the beginning. Um, but yeah, there is an election in June uh, this, this year. And we have gone back in time. It has been a regressive on many fronts, um, provincial government. And on the aggregate file, we can't continue to use this industrial growth model, um, it has gotten us into um, some real predicaments. And so um, this is some foundational stuff that that needs, we need to be on better footing here. And um, I would say that most people understand the, the limits that are just naturally in place and how we have to do better. And when you really start to uncover the, um, the way that this industry has been allowed by our, by both, you know, not just this uh, government provincially, but previous governments as well haven't done a good enough job in regulating and managing this common resource, right? So this is a, Ontario belongs to everybody uh, in a way that we, we all have to uh, do better. And that's what, that's what we're calling for is just, is just bringing things up to current uh, levels as, as much as anything. And Roland, if I could just add that that the also the it's there's a classic conflict of interest on the table here because the biggest consumer of gravel products are the municipal and provincial governments. So they are they are in a they are in a business relationship with each other, and that's why the you know one of the one of the details of our of our dam campaign um, for the moratorium is that the the independent panel we want convened is truly independent. It's run as an independent commission with all the transparency that those types of, of venues provide. Because the government, when I've been in the room with government and industry, I can hear industry saying, oh, that's going to cost more. Oh, that might that might cut down the amount of supply that we have. And I can see the fear in our elected officials because, you know, they have a responsibility to build the roads and the bridges and the hospitals that we need. And, and to me, we, the only way to break that inherent sort of too close from comfort relationship is is to shine some light on it, is to make the transactions and the decisions more visible. And that's why we need some independent overview. And as Sarah says, it's been a success of governments that hasn't hasn't dealt with this issue. This issue has been going on for decades, and no government has really moved the needle very far in the right direction. And this government's actually moved it in the wrong direction. And Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, that's... Uh, uh... I was pointing a finger at the current one, but I, I certainly uh, take the point about uh, it wasn't like things were hugely different under previous ones. I mean, have you had any conversations with the parties, uh, the opposition parties who, you know, were obviously hoping to form a government after June? Uh, are you getting any kind of positive uh, hearing from them? Well, on our January 25th launch, we're really proud to, to say we had uh, Mike Schreiner from the Greens and uh, Sandy Shaw from the NDP on the on the the launch event with us, declaring that if they were to form a government, they would move forward with a moratorium. They were fully supportive of it. We had Lucy Coulard from uh, the Liberals on there. I think she uh, she heard a lot. She's been very empathetic about the issue in that they've 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 agreed to uh, to to look at this and. Um, They've led us to believe we won't be disappointed when we see their platform, but but I can't announce what they're going to do because they haven't announced anything yet. But I'm optimistic, um, and I and I will say, and I, I want to say this because this is this is factual. It's not just 
you know, partisanship by any means. You know, when this current government got in, you know, we started the, the, the gravel aggregate file with them holding what was called what we call the secret summit. They had a summit to, to look at, you know, doing things on the on the aggregate file. And it was the first time, you know, prior to joining the coalition, I worked six years with an organization called Gravel Watch Ontario. And we had been brought in with, to the government as a stakeholder, you know, throughout those years. Um, they had this secret summit that was industry only, and we we weren't even allowed at the table. And why why I call it the secret summit, it was the most most bizarre thing I'd, I, I'd experienced in politics thus far, is they wouldn't even tell the attendees of the event until 48 hours before where the venue was, because I guess they were scared that we would show up with pitchforks pitch <coughs> and placards or something like that. But that's why I call it the secret summit. You know, so it's nothing. We, we've reached out since the coalition has launched um, several times. We have some relationships with some of the good men and women that work within the ministry, the, the good government employees that are related, you know, involved in this issue. Um, we've had some t- dialogue with them, but, but uh, we have not been able to talk to anyone at Queens Park. Absolutely no one. Oh, well, that's a story that we, uh, we, we sympathize with we've been trying to have a number of cabinet <laughs> ministers and 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 top dogs in the uh in the government onto this podcast but uh no one returns our phone calls um i, I see that we're coming up on our on our time limit so i'm afraid i'm gonna have to call this conversation short uh but i, I do think we could pr- as it's a common phrase in this podcast we could talk about this for hours so um i suspect we won't be hearing the last from uh from you graham and you sarah on this matter um and I guess we'll leave the uh, the door open to you to come back and give us a follow up and a, maybe an update somewhere down the road on on what's what's happening on the on the file. Uh, but I'd like to thank uh, both uh, Graham Flint and Sarah Harmer for coming onto the podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.